Well, let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that that as, as I teach tonight, it would be seasoned with salt, that your grace would be a part of it. Father, I pray that truth is heard, that we understand uh, what you want to say in this hour. Lord, we pray tonight for hearts that are receptive. We pray tonight for revelation to come to us. Lord, that the revelation come from you, that this not be an intellectual exercise, but rather, our Father, that you speak to us. I pray for a spirit of revelation. Lord, we give you thanks for it tonight, and we honor you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. When I prepared this outline, um, I prepared a nice Bible study. <laughs> That's what I prepared, and then I woke up the next morning, and I felt like the Holy Spirit told me some things that I had to add to it. And so it, it's still nice. It depends on which side you're on. It's, it could, it's still nice. Um, you know, I'll start by saying this. I love the church. I don't always like it, but I do love it. I love I love the United States of America. Don't always like it, but I do love it. We know this that Israel was and is a nation that was chosen by God. They have an everlasting covenant. And there are there are scriptural realities about how people treat Israel and what happens with Israel that we always need to take into account when we cast a ballot. You don't want to vote against God. And you don't want to vote against those people. I'm just going to tell you that. So Israel was chosen by God. The United States, though, was a nation that chose God. God didn't choose us, but in the inception of this nation, we chose God. I mean, you can read the documents of our forefathers, and you can tell that this nation was, was founded on principles from God's Word. And you can see it. I mean, this nation, in the beginning, chose God. That's why this nation has been blessed. That's why this nation has, has done uh, superior to any other democracy ever in the history of the world. And really, in any other country, perhaps, other than Israel, I mean, we chose God in the very beginning. And because we chose God, His hand has been upon us. And just as Israel has an everlasting covenant, the church has an everlasting covenant. We are in covenant with God. I mean, you, if you've ever walked the streets of Washington, D.C., just look at the buildings. Read the scriptures. You know, I don't know how the cancel culture is going to deal with that, other than tear down walls or plaster over walls. But I mean, those the scripture is everywhere. Our declaration for God is everywhere. Looking in, in, in all of our, our, our documents, uh, you can see God everywhere. Well, so today, the enemies of God and the enemy, enemies of our nation are trying to cancel God. And they're trying to, to cancel the church. They want to form a godless society and a godless government. And so um, I'm going to be a little bit political here. I hope I don't hurt anybody's feelings, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to say it anyway. If, 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 it mattered, if it mattered that much, I wouldn't say it. When, when Jesus began to talk to the disciples in Matthew 24 about the last days, his first statement was, take heed that no man deceive you. That's the first thing he said, was take heed that no man deceive you. Um, the Nazis had a method when they 
uh, were trying to indoctrinate their country. Their, their, their thought was, if you tell a lie, tell it big enough and loud enough and long enough and people will believe the lie. Okay, and that's, what, that's what's happening in our nation today. I mean, we cannot be deceived. Truth is truth. Truth is God's word, and we cannot allow society or culture to dictate to us any kind of truth that, that absolutely defies the word of God. Can't let that happen. All right? We can't be deceived. This cancel culture, this, this um, um, woke generation cares nothing for black lives. You, you, we got to know that. Even though their ma- their mantra is Black Lives Matter, they care nothing for black lives. They care nothing about the myth that they refer to as systematic racism in this country. It's a myth. You can't substantiate that statement. Systematic racism. If they cared for black lives, they'd be caring about the loss of black businesses that were destroyed in the riots that they've aided and abetted in their cities. They'd be concerned over black-on-black crime. I mean, especially black-on-black gun violence in cities like Chicago and Baltimore, among others. If they really cared for that, if they really cared, there would be conversation about that as well. The cancel culture isn't about Civil War heroes. It's not about the statues. It's not about the other symbols of American greatness. We need to recognize that this cancel culture is led by Marxist extremists. It has one goal, and that is to cancel God in this nation. That's the goal. See, they, they, they understand that the church and the power of the Holy Spirit, that's, that's all that stands between them and their agenda. I hope you understand, if the church is silent, they get what they want. And they've started this statement that says silence is violence. What are they saying? They're saying to speak up for their cause. If you speak up for another cause, then that's wrong. The church cannot be silent. I mean, once the church is silenced, there is nothing that will stop them from carrying out their diabolical agenda on this nation. I mean, thank God for a president that's willing to stand against them. But I'll tell you, if the church doesn't start speaking up, we've got a huge problem. I mean, the church's limpid response when prayer was removed from the schools, when it was removed from the public space, when we legalized abortion and we legalized same-sex marriage, all that was just a dry run for the current group of radicals. Just conditioning the church, conditioning the people of God to shut up and get where you belong because good Christians... They just go to church. Oh, yeah, until the virus came about. And then we couldn't do that. We've allowed the culture to define Christianity rather than allowing the scripture to define Christianity. I'm telling you, the disciples, the apostles of the first century, they had the worst cases of can't shut up of anybody in the history of the world. (laughs) They would not allow the world to silence them. They were willing to die for God, willing to die for the gospel. If the church doesn't wake up, we're in trouble, folks. The church has to wake up. 
I mean, this nation was forged as a result of a great awakening. Lately, this church has been asleep at the wheel. I mean, somebody might say, well, who do you think you are to talk about the church? Listen, nobody else is talking about it. I mean, somebody has to say what we all already know. We all are. I'm just vocalizing what we think. While we, while we were sleeping, demon hosts that the church drove from this land, from certain areas of this country, while we were sleeping, they came back. And they came back with friends. That's what Jesus said was going to happen. They've reared their ugly heads in defiance of our God and in defiance of the church. We must take the nation and drive them out again. Christians, we have authority over the devil. Amen. We have authority. The Bible says this. Jesus said in Mark 16, 17, And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. The first one. In my name they shall cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues. I mean, we need to understand, you can't invite devils out. They must be cast out. It takes somebody with authority. You cannot be nice to a demon. There's no treaty. There's no peace treaty with the devil. The church has thought they've signed one for the past 50 or 60 years. Because it's been like, don't bother me and I won't bother you. He was lying the whole time. Because his plan was diabolical. Mark 6, 7, it says, And Jesus called to him the twelve and began to send them forth two by two and gave them power over unclean spirit. You and I are his disciples. We have power over demon spirits. Over the demon spirits in certain regions of the country, we have power over them. And we, we may think, well, it'll never come here. Don't kid yourself. Don't, I mean, if it, 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 they want it to come here really bad. We must take authority over them right now. We can't wait until their riots are in our streets. We must do it now. Jesus said, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. We have authority over all the power of the enemy. We must stand up. We must know what to do. I refuse to sit idly by and just let it happen. I refuse. In Jesus' name, we must speak for righteousness in this critical hour. We can't just return to our nap after the lockdown and go back to just doing what we did. You know, I was thinking this week, there was a church in town a few a couple of years ago. They changed their whole method of operation and pretty much went out of business. But churches today are kind of doing the opposite. They're refusing to change their method of operation and just going back to the way it's always been. And I'm going to tell you, if they don't hear the Holy Spirit, they're going to crystallize and they're going to be in trouble. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness. We must preach righteousness. There has to be a time of repentance for the people of God. We as believers have a voice. We can and will be heard and heeded in the spirit realm and in the natural realm. We've got to develop ears to hear what is the Spirit saying to the churches? What is He saying in this time now? 
don't know if you recall, but there was a prophet by the name of Kim Clement. Have you heard of Kim Clement? Yeah, Kim Clement was he, he was he prophesied. He began prophesying back. He's he's passed away now. He's in heaven. But back in in about 2007, from 2007 to 2014, he prophesied about Donald Trump. Prophesied about him. He said that Trump would be the president of the United States. At the time, George Bush was president. And Obama was getting ready to be elected. Everybody thought he was crazy. If you ever saw Ken Clement, all that long hair and at the keyboard and the weirdness of him, you'd probably thought he was crazy anyway. But he prophesied that Trump would be the president. He prophesied that Trump, listen to this, he prophesied Trump would defeat a witch trying to get into the White House. That was a long time before he ran for president. He prophesied. He said that he would be hot-blooded. said that he would suffer the mockery of the mainstream media. That he would be impeached, but not convicted. That he would desire to protect America. That under his leadership, there would be a strong economy. That he will throttle the enemies of Israel and the West. He prophesied that Trump will be a praying man. And that both parties will have a hard time with him. And most importantly, he prophesied that God would set him in office. That's what he prophesied. All of that has come to pass. The only prophecy that didn't come to pass so far is the last one. He prophesied that Trump will win a second term and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, that, that's the prophecy that he prophesied. Now, sadly, a lot of the church hasn't supported this man of God that God put in office. It's like, you think Trump's a man of God? If God put him in office, he's a man of God. God chose him to be there. Yeah. All right? Many have, I mean, it's been easy to prophesy since Ken Clement. The Lord, thus saith the Lord, Trump will get a second term. Well, it's easy because all the rest of those prophets have, uh, prophecies have come to pass. But let me just ask you, is this one of those words from God that's automatic? And that all we have to do is just sit around and it automatically is going to happen? Or is this something the church ought to be doing something about in the meantime. The only time the word automatic, a word that even is close to the word automatic is used in the Bible in Greek or Hebrew is when Peter was let out of the prison and it says the gate automatically opened in front of him. It's the only time it's ever used in the scripture. Is there something the church ought to be doing? You see, while some totalitarian types of governors and mayors have demanded the closure of churches, in the face of the political, I mean the COVID-19 virus. I was going to say political virus, but I didn't. <laughs> and they've demanded, and, and they've, de- they've demanded no singing. No singing. And, and, and while you preach on some topics, it's considered hate speech. While at the same time anarchists are speaking loudly and destroying our cities, much of the church has remained neutral and silent. I mean, I've been talk- we've been talking about this for some time. Refusing to speak up for the Bible? For righteousness. The church has just been quiet. Many who've reopened their churches have acted as if it's business as usual and have no sense of urgency. It's like they don't even know what's going on. We're going to talk more about that as we talk about this church in Laodicea in a minute. And they don't understand why people are staying away. They don't get it. They don't understand. They think they're afraid of the virus. They don't care is why they're not going. There has not been a compelling message 
for them to connect to. There is nothing for them to die for. There's nothing for them to live for. It's the felt need message stuff that's out there. It's all good and fine. But I'm telling you, people need something more than just going and hearing a nice sermon about how to get my bills paid. They need to pay their bills for sure. But, but, but there's no vision. There's no stand for God being spoken. In the scripture, we see the story of David. And he's just a little shepherd boy. And his dad tells him to take some cheese to his brothers who are in the, in the, in the battle. So David takes the cheese. He goes. And, and all the, the Israel, Israeli soldiers are like in foxholes on the side of a mountain. I'm thinking they're saying an onward Christian soldiers or something. And they're, but, but, but then all of a sudden, Goliath comes out. And they all get down. And Goliath, he taunts them. You know, he was big. He says, send me your best guy. He wanted, them, he wanted them to send Saul to him is what he wanted because Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. And he thought that if he killed Saul, that would be, that'd be the deal. And so he, he's threatening them. He's taunting them. He's taunting the armies of God. And David, he looks around, you know, he's, he's already seen his brother. He looks around and says, who's that guy? And they say, well, that's Goliath of Gath. He's the giant. He, he's the Philistine champion, and he's challenging us. And David's like, Really? He's 17 years old, by the way. I was invincible when I was 17. <laughs> but, but he says, what do I get if I kill him? They're like, oh, man, your taxes are paid from now on. You get to marry the king's daughter. You get a big old fat reward. He said, really? He looks at another guy. What do I, is that what I get? His brother comes and rebukes him and says, what about those stinking little sheep you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be taking care of? David looks at his brother and he says this, and this is where we've we got to get this in our hearts. He says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? You see, the Christian church today has gone over to the Christian religion and there's no longer a cause. The cause of Christ, the cause of righteousness has been diminished by my getting all my stuff and that God becoming my heavenly butler here David said, is there not a cause? He says, there's got to be something worth fighting for so we can jump out of these holes and go after that guy. We cannot allow him to defy the armies of the living God. I'm telling you, this, this totalitarian system that's, that's coming out and all this cancel culture, they're defying us. They're defying our God. They know that they know that the church has for all this time sat and done nothing and they expect us to continue to be nice, quiet little Christians. After all, we just have to submit to the government. We covered that a lot last time. We don't have to. We have to do what God's called us to do. I mean, these are critical times for the church, for the nation. Is there not a cause? What about our children and grandchildren? Is that a, that's a cause right there. What about the future of the church in the United States? What about the future of the church in the world if the church of the United States is silenced? What about that? What, what about the freedoms that we hold so dear? Is there not a cause for prayer that righteousness will prevail in the upcoming election? Or, or are we willing to allow those who hate our way of life to tear away from us? Is there not a cause? I mean, for many churches and pastors, they've just put it in cruise control. 
I am absolutely flabbergasted by how many churches are now saying we won't open until 2021. Well, they got tens of thousands of members and lots of money. That doesn't hurt them. But it sure hurts the people. And I think they're daydreaming if they think the people are coming back. I mean, they put it in cruise. They think, we think we're going to arrive at the desired destiny without a fight of faith. A fight is a fight of faith. And the apostles said that we, we have to fight the fight of faith. There is never a time that the righteous don't walk by faith. It's a fight of faith. I mean, this is an hour of prayer and repentance. So how do we receive this prophecy, this promise? I mean, how can we receive, well, how do we receive any promise from God? How do we receive anything? Many think if it's the will of God, that it will automatically come to pass. Oh, you know, God's got it in his hand. Oh, yes. Really? You think that's what? That God had it in His hand when they, when, 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 when the people were murdered in that chop area in Seattle, was that God doing that? No, no, no. Someone has to do something. Just because it's the will of God doesn't mean it's going to come to pass. The scripture says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And yet many perish against the will of God. We know that just because it's the will of God, just because it's His will, doesn't mean. That that's automatically going to happen. Now some things are going to happen. No matter, it doesn't matter what you believe or what you don't believe. Jesus will come back. Amen. Okay, you, you, whether you believe it or don't, he's coming back. I mean, there will be there will be the rise and fall of the Antichrist. Those things are going to happen. But I'm talking about the promises of God. What God has specifically said to us. I mean, just because it's God's will. See, it's not God's will for any Christian to be deceived. And yet we know they're deceived all the time. I mean. Just because it's a promise doesn't mean all I have to do is sit back and say, God's in control. I always ask this question when I say that statement. Was God in control of what you had for breakfast today? Did he choose for you to have Cheerios instead of Rice Krispies? <laughs> you chose that. That was your choice. You made a choice. Right? Most of the time, it's up to us to do something about what God has said. It's up to us to believe something about what God has said. We have to remember, grace always comes through the channel of faith. Always. The scripture says in Romans 4.16, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed. It's, by, it's, by, it's, it's of faith that it might be by grace. Grace comes to the channel as we believe God. As we believe God, His, His grace comes to us. We're saved by grace through faith. So, if we get a, say God gives you a word, and his word is, and I've probably been in these meetings where the prophet comes and says, oh, the Lord has put healing in your hands. And I believe those are real prophets. I believe they're real words from God. But what if I never put my hands on anybody? What if I, what if I put my hands up in the air and go, okay, sick, come on, get it. No, I better go find some sick people to lay my hands on to see the manifestation of the promise of God. I've got to do something. I, I've, got, I've got to do some things. What, 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 what about the promise when, when we know that God's word promises us that, that he heals our bodies? What do we do? Do we just sit and wait for, for, for it to come on us? Is there something we must actively begin to pursue? I heard a sermon a long time ago, and the title of the sermon was, What to Do Between the Amen and There It Is. You get the promise, and you say, Amen. It may be a year or two, a month or two, 
a decade or two before you can say, there it is. There's something that needs to happen in there. And so, let me just read you this. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture, and I'm going to get past my introduction here in a few minutes. <laughs> and a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, was nothing better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the plague. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came, fell down before him, and told him all the truth. And he said to her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. Now, Jesus called what she did faith. That's an interesting thought. Jesus said, he said, he said, your faith has saved you, literally. She, so what did she do? Let's figure this one out. If we're going to receive the promise of God, first of all, she heard the word. When she heard of Jesus, she had to hear the right thing about Jesus. Because you've got to know, there was a lot of bad stuff being said about Jesus at that time. She heard Jesus is a healer. Jesus, if you touch Jesus, you can get well. She heard the word, and she heard it, and she heard it, and she heard it until faith rose up on the inside of her. You've got to know something. When you hear the word of God, the first thing Satan says is, hath God said. That's what he says. He comes, and, and he, he begins to question the integrity of the word. And if you begin to rationalize with the devil, you're going to lose. You just say, no, this is what God said. And you've got to know what God said. You've got to stand on what God said and not change it. First of all, she heard the word. Secondly, she said the word. She said, if I touch his garment, I shall be made whole. This is pretty simplistic, but we've got to say the word of God. We've got to be sayers of the promise. We need to be, we quit, let's quit saying, oh, I sure hope Trump gets elected. I don't know what we're going to do if he doesn't. We just need to say, no, the word of God we've heard is that God has ordained him, and we believe that he gets another term in office. Four more, just imagine the frenzy of all those crazy people out there. <laughs> we must say it, no matter how we feel, no matter how it looks. We say what God said. And then the third thing is, she did the word. She said, if I touch him, I'll be made whole. And she touched him. Faith of that works is dead. There's, God will always give us something to do. We need to pray and begin to hear what God is telling us to do. What is God saying? We must hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The churches are saying, God is saying to the church, rise up. We've got to speak the Word of God. We speak it in three different places. We speak it in prayer. This is the big one. That's the most important one. We defy these demon spirits. We defy them in the place of prayer. But at the same time, we've got to speak it from the pulpits of America. It's got to be spoken in the ears of the church. It's got to be said. And we take it and we speak it in the marketplace. We make sure that we tell it. We, we, we say what God said. And we do whatever he says. Go wherever he says to go. No matter how crazy or uncomfortable it may seem. Yeah. This is a critical hour. This, this is an important time. We must lift our voices and not be ashamed of losing our little kingdoms. 
speak up with what God has said. We must give ourselves to a cause that is bigger than us. Bigger than us. The church must move out of its lukewarm state and begin to make a difference again. It's like, well, but it's just me. There's not a lot I can do. Well, let's listen to this. 1 Samuel 14, verse 6. And Jonathan said to the young man that bears armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised two guys. They're going to go fight a bunch of other guys. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. God is God. Man, we need to be people who get it, get our edge back. You know, I remember we got spirit-filled. We weren't afraid of anything. (laughs) You know, because we knew we were doing what God told us to do. My son, one time, I was on the phone with him. It was was a cell phone call from, where was he? Some Muslim area. And they were in the car. They were driving. He said, hey, Dad, pray for us because the Muslims are chasing us. They've got clubs and they've got got knives and they're chasing us. And we've got to get back to the hotel and get out of here. Then he started laughing. I said, why are you even laughing about that? He said, this is the most exciting place to be in the whole world. (laughs) He said, because I'm right in the middle of the will of God. You see, we need to have that kind of moxie again. We need to have that kind of determination again. There are people in our churches that have never seen the Holy Spirit do anything. We have we can actually show them how to get there if we'll just give ourselves to it. Now I'm at my text. You ready? Here we go. Revelation chapter 3. I don't know how long. I've got a little while ago. And unto the angel, of the, this is verse 14, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. Jesus is saying, I can, I have, I, I, I've watched you. I, I know this from experience. I know what you're doing. That thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou art cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. We talked about how they built the pipes because Laodicea was this rich city and they were going to be the first city in the world to have hot and cold running water. They built the pipes. Hot water came from Hierapolis. Cold water came from Colossae. And they had these pipes, these clay pipes, ran the, ran the water. Well, after the water, hot water runs for 11 miles, it gets lukewarm. When cold water, freezing water comes for 15 miles, it gets lukewarm. And they were thinking they were going to get these healing waters. They were going to be hot. They were going to get these refreshing waters that were going to be cold. And they tasted it and they spewed it out of their mouths because it tasted like clay pipes and it was lukewarm. Jesus is saying, that's what you are to me. You ought to be healing. You ought to be refreshing. You are lukewarm, and you taste bad to me. Mm. He's saying, I'm disappointed with, with, with what I'm getting here. He says, now he doesn't give up on them, that's for sure. He says, because thou sayest I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. It's like, we are the richest. We talked about that. We're the richest. We don't need anything from anyone. He said, and knowest not. He said, you are clueless. You are absolutely void of understanding here. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me. Let's get together. Let's talk about this. Buy of me gold tried in the fire. Thou mayest be rich. White raiment. That thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. 
in this next verse, I'm going to read it the way it's in the Greek. He says, I, as many if I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Verse 20, this is where we're going to really start tonight because we've looked at all the other verses. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come unto him and sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So we've been looking at this. This is a rich church. I mean, they are powerful. And, and, and we've seen that this, and I really see this church as a parallel of the church in the United States today. This church seems to be sleepwalking. They are absolutely the richest church in the world. They're good people. They're not bad people. They're good people. But they're clueless about their abject spiritual condition. As we read there, I hope you noticed something that was really important. Before revival will come, repentance must come. Every revival has repentance. And it's not just the sinners that need to repent. It's the church. We sing songs all the time. Oh, God, send revival. Send revival. God's saying, I need repentance. Not, be, not for us. I mean, not for him, for us. I mean, there can be no revival until the church repents of being lukewarm. Amen. 1 Peter 4.17 For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. This isn't like God sending people to hell. This is... This is the church becoming the standard and us being open and honest about who we are and where we are and repenting. 1 Corinthians 11.31 For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. The church is going to have to get honest about it. See, repentance is a new way of thinking that's followed by a new way of acting. Thinking again. All right. So, Jesus, he wants to come and clothe them so they won't be ashamed. All right, so let's go. This is, here's, here's what we're going to get to tonight. Verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Now, notice where Jesus is. He's not in the church. He's outside the church. Now, we use this verse all the time, and, not, and I'm not opposed to that, about evangelism. Jesus is not talking to the lost. He's talking to his church, and he's not even in there. And they don't even know it. He's outside. They think they lack nothing. And yet the reason they exist isn't even included in their services. And I'm thinking they're a rich church. They have all the right musical instruments. They have all the right equipment. I mean, they, I mean, they probably can fill up the whole valley with fog. They got it all. <laughs> but Jesus isn't there. And they don't even know it. They think they're good. I mean, they're having great services, they think. I mean, they probably got great music. They probably have lots of intriguing sermons about the many problems in life. I'd probably refer to them as first world problems. Lots of sermons about that. Let's get your problems fixed. Let's, 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 let's do that. They have all that's going on, but they've lost sight of the very person they've come to worship. And didn't notice, not only is he not in the building, he's locked out of the building. He's on the street. Jesus can't get in there. They come to church every week, and they're, oh man, it's, it's really good. He can't even get into his own church. He's out on the street. That's a sad state of affairs. 
churches today, many of them going through the motions. We got the fantastic church show every week. I mean, it's a great show, provides all the trappings of what I call the Christian religion. There's a difference between Christianity and the Christian religion. They've got all the trappings. Ooh, man. But they're totally unaware of the reality that Jesus is not there. Ooh, we've got lots of feelings. I'm going to tell you something. Not everything that moves is the Holy Spirit. And the soul is easy, easy to move. Hitler was a master. And he moved the soul. He knew what to do. Man, lots is going on. I remember when I was, when we were young, spirit-filled people, we, we went to this meeting one time at the Lubbock Municipal Coliseum. And there was this famous TV preacher there. I'm not going to tell you who he was, but he was there. And it was a big deal. It was full. People were everywhere. And I mean, it was like, praise Brother So-and-So. I mean, they were all about him. Oh, praise Brother So-and-So. Oh, Brother So-and-So. We, oh, we're so glad you're here. Praise Brother So-and-So. And then they started taking up the offering. They're like, who, who will give $10? Who will give 10 It was like an auction. Who will give 25 Who will give $100? Who will give everything in their wallet? You know what I mean? It was, it was just, anyway, my, my friend, I'm sitting by my friend. And I'll never forget this. He looked at me and he said, you know, I envy the Holy Ghost. I said, really? He said, yeah. He didn't have to come to this. <laughs> Do you know why there are no manifestations of the Spirit in the church? Because Jesus isn't there. I'm just being honest here. Do you know why there's no courage to stand for righteousness in the present age? Because Jesus can't get in. I mean, if he's not there, there's no manifestation. There's no courage. I mean, that's why the church is silently being outrun by the total totalitarian governments. Jesus can't get in. He, he, he's not even welcome in his own church. I, I, I'm not referring just to the mainline denominations. I'm talking about so-called charismatic, spirit-filled churches that you can't tell the difference between the happy Baptist church and the spirit-filled one. No manifestation. Jesus said, I stand at the door. Here's mercy getting ready to happen right here. Even though he's been ushered out of the church, he refuses to give up. And I believe it's true for the United States. I believe that Jesus is still standing at the door. I believe he still wants in. This is interesting. Jesus, remember I talked at the first of the year about him having the key of David? He's got the key of David. I mean, he can get in the treasure chambers of heaven. He's got the key of David. He is the one who can, he's the only one who can open the door that no man can shut and shut the door that no man can open. He's got this key of David. But the one key he doesn't have is to the door of the church. Somebody's trying to text me here. But he can't get there because only they can open the door. Only the church can let Jesus in. The word door literally means door, but in this case it's referring to a door that's closed, barred, and bolted shut. Jesus was, he, I mean, this door was locked. Man, this, my phone is blowing up right now. Must be something really important. Okay. I mean, it's locked. Jesus does not have the key 
to get in the church. The church has to open the door for him. He has to be allowed to come in. When The locked door means there's no access. Jesus has no access to his people. And they have no access to his supernatural power, his supernatural provision. Really no access to his presence at all. I mean, though the, the church thinks we have all that stuff. But if Jesus isn't there, it's just all an invitation. He has to be open. We have to open the door. It represents The door represents opportunity. Jesus is saying, I'm still here. Just give me an opportunity to get back in there. Hallelujah for mercy. I mean, he wants, he wants to come in. He wants to be a part of the church. I mean, the church, listen, it's our job to repent. It's our job to be zealous. It's our job to open the door. We have to open it. He can't and won't do it for us. We must do it. He says, I stand at the door and knock. It's not just a little tap on the door. Knock means to knock incessantly with a heavy blow. In other words, Jesus is pounding on the door of the church. On the street, it's locked, and he's pounding, and he's pounding, and he's pounding on the door. As he pounds on the door, it's like, just crack this door open a little bit. All I need is an opportunity to get back in there. He wants in the church. He wants it. He said, if any man hear my voice, the pounding is his voice. It's him speaking to us. If you just hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you. I'll come in there. I mean, he's pounding. His voice is pounding. His voice is pounding. It has to do with hearing him and understanding him. Psalm 29, 4 says, The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Jesus promised in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice. We can hear him if we will listen to him. We've got to turn off all the other noise. Jesus said, The voice of a stranger they will not follow but that means you can't be listening to the voices of strangers. You've got to be listening to his voice. It has to do with the shepherd standing outside the, the sheepfold because there were a bunch of flocks in there and different shepherds would put their sheep there. And, he, and the shepherd would come up and, and those, his sheep, even though they're mingled with all the other sheep, because the voice they heard was his. And when he said Fluffy, Fluffy came out. You know, lamb chop, Lamb chop came out because that only they knew their shepherd. If we will quit listening to the voice of the world, and take to heart the voice of God's word. When he speaks to us, we will hear him and we can open the door. The church needs to be revived. The word revival means to live again. The church is dead because it's been listening to everything else. I mean, the Bible says there's a way which seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Just because it sounds right doesn't make it right. Jesus has never given up on us. He has not given up on the church of the United States. He's still speaking, but we've got to turn off the noise of everybody else. We've got to get a hold of him. Our job is to hear. We make a choice to hear. Our job is to open the door. It's not going to be opened by accident. It's not got to be on purpose. We must hear it. We must give him the opportunity. We must open the door when we hear his voice. We've got to get our agenda out of the way and say, you know what? Whatever you say is what we do. Whatever you say. He says, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Man, he, he, he's not threatening them. He said, you disappoint me right now, but he didn't say, if any man will open the door, I'm going to come in and slap the preacher in the face and take over. 
No, no, he said, I will come in and I will sup with him. The word come here means come in right now. If you'll just give me a crack, I will come in. Listen, Jesus just wants back in. I will sup with him and he with me. The word sup has to do with an intimate evening meal among close friends and relatives. He's saying, let's get this back to intimacy. Let's get it back to where it's supposed to be. Instead of retribution, he wants to come in and have a banquet. He wants to come in and move in the church. I mean, we, Jesus is talking to the church right now. It's not too late. We still have. We st- he's still knocking. But we've got to hear him. I love when he says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. He says, we'll overcome the word. The word overcome means to overcome again and again and again and again. The Greek word for overcome is the Greek word Nike. It means champion. He says, if you let me back in there, I'm going to make you champions. And you'll continually be champions. You'll champion my cause. You'll do what I'm supposed to do. You'll fight the good fight of faith. And it's good because we win. We must repent here and let him in the door with unstricted access. We must have ears to hear. The church must have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. Listen, if we think that now is the time to get back to the old programs, do what we did before to get this far, we're sadly mistaken. Tammy and I, as pastors, went to more than one church growth seminar. And they were telling us how to grow the church. It was basically a church marketing seminar how to market the church. If you just give people milk and cookies, they'll keep coming back. I guess if you keep giving them milk and cookies, that would be true. We need Christians who are real Christians. Christians who will stand for God in this hour. I mean, the Holy Spirit is saying it's time for revival. God put this in my heart about two months ago, and I'm telling you, I have heard it being spoken from all around. I mean, men and women of God are standing and they're talking about us moving back to the place of healing, back to the place of refreshing, getting Jesus back in the house, not just some feeling or some imitation. The Spirit is speaking to the church. We've got to awaken and move out at His command. We must stand up once again. Is there not a cause? See, there is a cause. We've got to give our hearts to it. Let's pray. Father, tonight, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You, God, that there is a cause. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're calling us to a higher place. Lord, it's not over for us. Many of us are retired or close to retirement, but God, it's not over for us. There's much to be done. We choose to speak up and do what you've called us to do. God, we give you thanks. We give you honor in Jesus' name. Amen.